0: Well, good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 7. We're continuing our study of the book of Hebrews, and we will be in uh, chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. Now, as we've gone through the book of Hebrews, we continue to hit on this theme of change change from the old covenant to the new covenant. And much of what is being explained in the book of Hebrews is why was this change necessary? Why is it that there needed to be a progression from the old covenant to the new covenant? And in particular, the section that we are in in Hebrews is about why it is there needed to be a change from the old covenant Levitical priesthood to the new covenant priesthood in Christ. Now, the author to the Hebrews has gone back to this concept of the priesthood of Melchizedek, and we've gone deep into that. Pastor Eubank helped us understand better what it was to be a a priest after the order of Melchizedek. But still we come back to this question of why is it that there needs to be a change? Now, to understand this, the first thing that we need to understand is, what was the purpose of a priest? If we are evaluating that one priesthood is better than another priesthood, we have to understand what it was that a priest was meant to do. Now, at his most basic level of function, a priest was meant to act as a conduit between God and man. That is, his job was to bring God and man together that man might dwell in the presence of God. Do you know that that's why you were created? You were created to dwell in the very presence of God. Of course, as Presbyterians, we know the Westminster Shorter Catechism, right? Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But how are you to glorify God and how are you to enjoy God if you do not dwell in God's presence. Our call to worship this morning from Psalm 84 gets to this experience of dwelling in the presence of God and how our very soul exults in being in the presence of God. We read, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, Saints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. This is what the priest is supposed to do. He's supposed to facilitate this relationship between God and man, that man might dwell in the courts of the Lord. But what is the barrier to his work? Well, as we read through the Old Testament, we see over and over and over again what it is that the priest must do to bring God and man together, which is to offer sacrifices. Because the barrier between God and man is sin. Sin is keeping us from dwelling in the presence of God. And so the job of the priest was to offer sacrifices that he might draw God and man together. But this is where we see the weakness of the Old Covenant. You see, the Old Covenant provided for these sacrifices. The Old Covenant put forth the law of how we are to live before God, and yet man continued to be separated from God. The sacrifices and the law pointed to what was supposed to be, but there was no power to bring it about. We see the weakness of sacrifices as we read through the book of Isaiah. There we hear the words of the Lord It says, I do not delight in the blood of bulls. I don't delight in these sacrifices that aren't having any effect on your life. And many of us remain in this Levitical-type relationship with God. You see, we have an outward understanding of God's Word. And I don't think that there are many of us here who are actually going to a Levitical priest to offer sacrifices for us, and yet the gospel remains an outward reality and not an inward reality. It's just another law that has replaced the old law. But we will see in our passage that Christ and the new priesthood that He has brought is not willing to leave us in this place where the law remains outside of us. But rather, through the priesthood of Christ, we are filled with the power to be drawn perfectly into the holy presence of God. So hear now the word of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 7. We'll begin in verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let us go to him in prayer. Oh, Father God, we come to you now at this time, and we pray that the power that is spoken of in these verses might be active even here in this place. We ask, oh Lord, according to the priesthood of Christ and His intercession on our behalf, that your Spirit might work within us, and that we might be drawn into your very presence. We pray this through Christ's holy name. Amen. One of the cardinal rules when it comes to goal setting is to set a goal that is achievable. right? You want a goal that's just a little bit beyond your ability, and then as you pursue it, there's a reasonable chance that you will reach that goal, right? And so an unreasonable goal might be you're going to start a business and you think, you know what, in the first quarter of my new business, I'm going to make a million dollars. This is your goal. Well, the reality is, is that a new business probably isn't going to make a million dollars in the first quarter. And so after that first quarter comes and goes, you're going to be discouraged and you might give up on your business. Or say you're going to take up running, and you think, you know what, I've heard a four-minute mile is pretty good. So I think by a year's time, I should be able to run a four-minute mile. Now, not to mention it took Roger Bannister many years to do it, and humanity overall, hundreds if not thousands of years to reach that goal, but you say, I'm going to do it. But then after six months of running, you can't break a nine-minute barrier, and you think, it's not worth it. I'm not going to do it. You see, when you set goals, you need to put out there before yourself a goal that is reasonably attainable. So what is the goal that the Word of God sets for humanity, for each one of us? Well, in Hebrews 7, verse 11, we read this. Now, if perfection had been Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? What is God's goal? What is God's purpose for humanity? Perfection. Perfection is the goal. That is what God is moving us towards. And if it doesn't seem to jump off of the page at you from Hebrews chapter 7, we can go to what the Lord Jesus Christ says in conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. When the Lord ascends the mount, even as Moses came down from the mountain and delivered the law, Jesus speaks of the new covenant and how we are to follow Him. And He concludes by saying, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is God's goal for His people, perfection. Now, to understand what is meant by this, we need to understand what this word perfection means. Now, behind this word that's translated perfection in the Greek is the word teleos, which means completion or end point. And so maybe an image that you can have in mind. When I was young, I loved to put together the Lego sets, right? And you have the instructions and you go through the instructions. And when you get to the very end and all the pieces are in place, then you have completed the work that is before you. And you might say that that completed project is perfect. Everything has come to its appointed end. And so when The Word of God says that perfection is our goal, that we must be perfect. What it is saying is is that we must come to that place where we are living in the purpose for which we are created. That we progress to that place where we are complete in Christ. Second, we must understand that perfection, whereas it is a high goal, is a necessary goal. It's necessary. There isn't any other goal that will bring us to the place where we might dwell in the presence of God. Why is that? Well, because sin cannot dwell in the presence of God. God is holy. And there is no profanity, there is no uncleanness that is allowed to come into the presence of God. And therefore, if we would dwell in the presence of God, if we would be filled with the glory of God to the very fullness, then we must be completely cleansed of our sin, walking in the completeness of what God created us. If it is anything less, then we cannot dwell in the presence of God. And the third thing we see about perfection is that it was not given by the old covenant. The old covenant could not produce perfection. It could not bring the people of God to the place of completeness that God had created for them. Look, again, starting in verse 18, then we'll go into a little bit of 19. It says, For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. Why does there need to be a change? Because the Levitical priesthood made nothing perfect. It didn't achieve God's goal for humanity. No, what was the purpose then? Why why is there the law? Why is there the priesthood under Aaron? Well, the rest of God's Word teaches us that it was there to anticipate what was coming in Christ. It was there to educate. The image that the Apostle Paul uses, that it's like a Tutor that prepares us so that we might come to the place of receiving the priesthood of Christ. But it had no actual power to bring about perfection. An example that Donald Gray Barnhouse uses to speak of the weakness of the law comes from Isaiah chapter 11. If you are familiar with Isaiah 11, the Lord Jesus quotes this passage and says that it is fulfilled within him, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. And then there are some images used that speak of what will happen under this new covenant. It says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. So in your mind, I want you to imagine... You have a lion and you have a nice fat calf. The law is represented by a little sign that says, Do not eat each other. Do you think that will keep the lion from eating the calf? Saying to the lion, Now, it would be really good if you don't eat that calf. No. If the lion is going to lay down with the fatted calf or the the wolf with the lamb, there has to be a change of nature. Now, why do we think that the law will be any more effective for humanity who is broken and sinful by our very nature? That little sign isn't going to keep the lion from eating the calf. It's just going to look like a menu item. And for us, when we look at the law, when we look at the Ten Commandments, yes, it expresses what God wants for us. It expresses God's moral demands on our life. But what we learn from the Word of God is that it causes sin to arise in us. Not because it's bad, but because it's tempting. And because our nature needs to change. And that's why there needs to be a change from the old covenant to the new covenant. From the old priesthood to the new priesthood. Because all the old priesthood could give you was a list of things that you were not to do. But it didn't change the heart. And many of us continue to live in such weakness. We have been often warned of the perils of legalism, and of course, that is one of the roads that we go down when we don't live in the power of the new covenant is legalism. But I fear that far more of us live not under a legalism where we are rigidly trying to follow the law but rather one in which the power of the gospel remains outside of us. And we look at the demands of the Word of God, and they are only temptations. You see, the weakness of the new covenant is that it does not provide the power to achieve God's goal. But because of that weakness, it points us to the power of the new covenant, its purpose. Look down at verses 12 through 16. We're going to read kind of an extended portion there. It's all kind of coming together for one central point. It says, For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar, for it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. In connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. The, in these verses, the author is speaking about why it is, or what the foundation is of these two different priesthoods, okay? And the first foundation of the priesthood under Aaron is heredity, okay? It is based upon what line you come from. If you are from the line of Aaron and you meet the requirements of the priesthood, then you are a priest, according to what the verse says, bodily descent. Now, why must there be this bodily descent? Well, as we'll see later in the book of Hebrews, but as you can guess, priest died. There was death. And when a priest died, they need to know who the next priest is going to be. How are they going to figure that out? Well, the law established that the next priest would be a descendant from the former priest. But this reveals the weakness of the law. For the wages of sin is death. And if the priests keep dying, that means that the priests have the weakness of sin and cannot accomplish their purpose. So what is the foundation of Christ's priesthood what is the basis of his priesthood well as the text says it's not his heritage it's not his lineage because he is from Judah and not from the line of Aaron or of Levi so what does it say is the basis of his priesthood his indestructible life you see these other priests kept dying but Christ's priesthood is based upon his indestructible life. Now, what does that mean? Well, the most basic level, indestructible life means an unending life, a life that is not destroyed. But it means so much more than that as we understand the life of Christ. First, we see his indestructible life in the fact that he existed from eternity past as God the Son. His life is rooted in this eternal life that He had with the Father. And then He came in the incarnation and was born among us. His indestructible life is rooted in His life of righteousness. in that in this world, He never sinned. Not only did He never sin, but He fully obeyed His Father. He lived a perfect life. His indestructible life is seen in the sacrifice that He made upon the cross. For we understand, again, that the wages of sin is death. And if Jesus went to the cross and He died, then we understand that something miraculous and loving and full of grace happened upon the cross. That is, the sin of His people was placed upon Him and He died on our behalf. But his indestructible life means even more. For we know that the story doesn't end in that Jesus died on the cross, but on the third day he rose from the dead. God vindicating him that he is without sin and he ascended to the right hand of the Father and now he exists eternally at the right hand of the Father where death can never touch him again dwelling in the presence of God for all eternity. And therefore, if we would dwell in the presence of God, we must trust in the priesthood of Christ. Because it is in Christ that we receive life everlasting. It is in Christ that we receive forgiveness of sins through His sacrifice. It is through Christ that we, even now as the Apostle Paul says... Well, in heaven itself, seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is how perfection is attained through the priesthood of Christ. His perfect, indestructible life. And if you would dwell in the presence of God, then you must trust in that indestructible life. You must trust in that priesthood. You see, we must see the weakness of the law. We must trust in the power of Christ's perfection. And the final thing I want us to see is that we must experience the power of Christ's perfect priesthood. We must experience the power of it. Look down at verse 19. It says, For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Here we see that God's call on our life through the priesthood of Christ is what? Is that we would draw near to God, that we would come into the very presence of God. We see this Hope explained in a different way earlier in chapter 6 in verse 19, if you remember from a few weeks ago, when it says that Jesus went past the curtain, behind the curtain, as a forerunner. Now, what does it mean that Jesus went behind the curtain? Well, it means that Jesus went into the very center of the earthly temple. That there is a curtain that separates the most holy place, which is representative of the dwelling place of God on earth, and that Jesus went in behind the curtain into the very presence of God as a forerunner. That means that he is bringing us in there as well. And therefore, what this verse is saying when it says that a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God, what it is saying is that the new priesthood in Christ, the power of it is to draw us into the very presence of God. And you are called, Christian, to experience this, to taste this to know the power of the perfection of Christ's priesthood even now. It cannot remain an external truth, but must become an internal reality. Now, how do we draw near to God? Well, we draw near to God in prayer. As we gather together, we draw near to God in His Word, We draw near to God as we come and we receive the sacrament of His body and His blood. By the power of the Spirit, the Lord makes our prayers, His Word and the sacrament an effectual means of drawing us into His presence. But we also must draw near to God in holiness. You see, Christ... As a priest, his goal is to make you perfect. Now, from the first point about trusting in Christ, we understand that his priesthood makes us perfect according to what he has done on our behalf. We can come into the very presence of God because Jesus has offered a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. But what the Word of God teaches us is that this holiness must not remain external, but that we must be in the process of being made perfect. We are cleansed from our sin, but we also are freed from our sin. Now, we read in the book of Jude, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. And you say, Well, David, I don't feel very perfect. And you think, that is a goal that just seems too lofty, unachievable. It is not a workable goal. I look at my life and I see that I continue to sin. Are you saying that I don't know the priesthood and the power of the priesthood of Christ because I continue to sin? No. We will continue to struggle with sin. We will continue to fight against sin. Not one of us will dwell in this place of perfection in ourselves until the day of glory when Christ returns and we are made perfect. But the point is that you must begin progression toward the goal. Yes, we are justified. Yes, we are forgiven. Yes, we are accepted as perfect in the sight of God because of the perfect life of Christ. But we also must begin to experience the power of the Spirit within our lives to cleanse us, to free us from sin, and to grow in holiness towards the perfection that God requires of us. This is not perfectionism. But this is a call to grow in holiness. Because if we are not experiencing in our own lives an increase of holiness, then the priesthood of Christ is no more powerful and no more good to you than the priesthood of Levi. If you continue to walk in weakness and the law and the Word of God continues to remain an external reality, then the power of Christ's priesthood has not come to you. We must experience the power of Christ's priesthood perfecting us, freeing us from the bondage of sin. And I want to encourage you, Christian, because your nature has been changed. The promise of the new covenant is that God will take out the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away. The new has come. You are a new creation. And yes, you might say, well, wait a second. I thought we believed in total depravity. Total depravity applies to those who are outside of Christ. But if you are in Christ, you have been freed not to sin. And therefore, you must pursue that by the power of the Spirit. There is power, and you have been changed. So why do things need to change? Why is it that we cannot just stay in the Old Testament reality, this Levitical priesthood that gives us the law and tells us how we are to live? Why must there be the power of Christ's priesthood come to us? John Bunyan is said to have wrote this little poem that explains the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It says, Run, John, run. Run the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Christian, I encourage you this day, leave aside the weakness of the law and by God's grace, trust and experience the power of Christ that you might even fly into the presence of God, and eternally taste and see that He is good. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to You now at this time, and we pray that You would give to us the grace of the perfecting power of Christ, and as we continually struggle against sin in this world, knowing that we will not achieve this goal until we are given it in glory through Christ, let each of us taste the power of the Spirit within us that we might grow in holiness day in and day out and truly dwell in your courts. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.